Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's edition of the Football Digest podcast. We're a man down, but hopefully he's going to join us shortly, even though he's running late already. Blimey, it's lucky we don't issue fines in this place. But I'm already joined by Andy Dunn, uh, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Mirror, and Jeremy Cross, whose timekeeping is brilliant, I must say. Um, almost as good as his writing. Uh, uh, Chief Sports Writer of the Daily Star. And we are waiting soon to be joined by, I'm sure, Matt Dunn from the Daily Express. Uh, good afternoon to you guys. We were all at the... Um, England game there last night, so we'll have lots of England chat. And I have to say, the squad breakdown, I don't know, there seems to be an awful lot of managerial comings and goings, probably more to come, isn't there, I think. Uh, Ancelotti, what do we think about that? The PFA Player of the Year shortlist, who is missing, who should who should win it. Um, yeah, and it's uh, Aguero also joining um, Barcelona, which is an interesting one, which we must have a look at. But let's start, shall we, first... Um, uh, please, with uh, the England game last night, really. And friendly against very, very average uh, Austria side, a side in disarray. England were missing their own players, really. Didn't finish the best. So what did we, what did we learn? Jeremy, what did you learn and take out of last night, um, do you think? Well, it was a difficult one to assess, really, because obviously there was no... City players or Chelsea players due to their involvement in last weekend's Champions League game. Um, so they won't join up with the squad until uh, the end of this week, ahead of the next game. So what we learned, we learned that Bellingham is going to be a really, really, really world-class player if he keeps on this current trajectory. I thought it was excellent last night. He just does the basics really well. He looked commanding. It's hard to believe he's still 17, really. I think he was the youngest player to start an England game since Wayne Rooney back in 2003. So he just doesn't look phased at all about the level he's got to. Um, he's obviously been playing for um, Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, which is obviously a high standard. So he just looks like he's going to be really, really special. And I just think it's going to be interesting to see if he may even make the starting eleven for the Croatia game when the tournament starts. So that was a positive. Grealish was good. I thought Grealish was excellent. He was at the hub of everything that was positive about England. Um, dare we say it, Lingard was pretty lively too. He looked like a guy who wanted to prove something after being left yeah. out of the final cut. Um, so there were some positives, but it's hard to judge them as a team as a whole because there were certain personnel missing who will be in the starting eleven come um, June the 13th. So... I thought they started well, England. They looked lively and bright and purposeful, but the sort of sparkle faded a bit. Um, they got lost a little bit. They looked a bit disjointed as long as the game went on. And actually, when the final whistle came, it was actually a blessing for England more than Austria yeah. because, you know, yeah. they, they could, the Austrians, however limited and average they fe- you felt they were, they could have had at least one goal, maybe two. The defending at the end was... Almost catastrophic, you know. Um, there was almost an own goal. Pickford mistimed a punch that caused carnage at the back. Alexander Arnold went off injured. 
So it was all a bit of a sad ending, really, a worrying ending. But it's hard to judge them after that game. You know, it's the first time they've played for a while. It was an experimental team. So, you know, while we didn't think, crikey, we're going to hit our straps really quickly here and go into the tournament, you know, in fine form, it was sort of a... It left more questions than answers for me, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. Did Andy, Andy were you... Were you sort of similarly impressed? I mean, you know, I have to say, the, the, the Jack Grealish fanfare always gets me after every England game. And a lot of people made him man of the match. And he's a brilliant character, isn't he? I love extroverts. I love kind of characters. And But what did you make of his his, his performance? Is, is he playing and is he a level now where you can realistically see Gareth Southgate maybe changing his plans and putting Jack Grealish in that starting lineup, put him in the starting lineup, and maybe even mm. John putting him put putting him in, in, in the number ten role. I mean, right. you, you know that that would be a great role for him. Yes, I can. I can see him start in the starting lineup. You know, the clamour for Grealish to play, you know, has been there for a long time. And while he wasn't sensational last night, there was nothing in his performance that suggested he shouldn't start. He makes things happen, doesn't he? You know, he mm. was, albeit sort of. Um, on the fringes, he he was involved in the goal, you know, in 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 one form or other, um, and he he is a player that just can create that piece of magic. You know, we've got a lot of players, and Jeremy mentioned Bellingham, who was outstandingly correct, does everything correctly. We've got a lot of players who do everything, you know, in a very accomplished way. Greenish brings a touch of the unknown. He brings a touch of the match winner about it, doesn't he? He brings a touch of of magic to proceedings and that's why the clamour will increase for him to play he, he lifts um, a team out of the ordinary and that, and that's mm-hmm. why I think he'll play on the negative side Jeremy's gone through the positives there I mean just being sort of um, to give the balance the negatives to that was that Jack Grealish then was had his his leg encased in, in ice which he says obviously is just you know routine and a precaution from this injury that forced him to miss three months of the season um, so we had Grealish in case and ice, Alexander-Arnold limping off and seemingly certain to limp out of the Euros. Jordan Henderson crying off because he didn't feel right in the morning. Jaden Sancho, not well. Harry Maguire, nowhere near. So, you know, there are a fair few negatives as well about, about the initial stages of this preparation for Euro 2020. In mitigation to that, you know, you have got 26 players. Um, so there is a, a little bit of um, slack to be, to be had in, in the squad. But even so, I think what we're seeing is not so much... I, I don't feel as though... I don't have any particular pressing concerns about the quality of the squad, about the quality of the players um, the Southgate uh, has, has at his d- disposal. I'm fine with that. I think it's an exciting squad, and I think there are elements of last night's game which were exciting. You know, Saka scoring a goal and, and all around made, made it look as though he's going to make something happen. The concerns, I think, are more are more physically. It's as simple as that. You know, after the season mm. that, that that we've had, um, it's telling on a lot of players out there. You know, and and the tournament hasn't even started yet. And I think that's mm. the they they are the issues really that will be of more pressing concern to Southgate. How you know you started off by asking about Greenwich. Yes, great. I would love him to play all three group games for England. I would love him to start against Croatia. However, managing Greenwich's um, physical state 
Um, you, you know, no, knowing that he wants to play every game, knowing that he's absolutely buzzing for it, knowing that his mentality is get me out there, I want to show what I can do. And Southgate's going to have to turn around and say, well, well, listen, you know, we need to assess exactly how many minutes you're capable of, what you could do. And I think that won't be Grealish alone. That will be a lot of players in that squad. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point. Will Cumberton actually is sort of posted a, mm. a, a very good point, actually, saying we didn't play 5 3 2, which is what we've. What we're playing at the Euros. The only thing I'd say about that, it will, will I'm not sure anymore. That South, I mean, I think if Southgate has the personnel, then I think he'd prefer to go back to a four to squeeze all his attacking players in, if I'm honest. Um, you know, is, is this we don't give away anything to the way to the opposition or just we didn't because we didn't have the personnel? Well, I think in response to that, I do feel as if I felt as if last night was a very good reason why they should go back to a three or a five, whichever you, whichever you, you choose really, simply because I am, you know, without, without Harry Maguire's presence, my word, uh, uh, you know, I mean, Tyrone Mings, I thought was lucky not to be sent off last night, had a bit of a shaky game and the defensively, Matt, I don't know whether you agree, is the defence the big, the big issue that, that, you know, to come out of last night, to remind last night that we're not, you know, not in that class without big players like Maguire and Stone. Yeah, if Austria can pull them out of shape as quick, easily as they did last night, then what are the French going to do to to the defence? I mean, admittedly, it won't be that defence. I think the reason, one of the main reasons he only played with about four is because with all the Champions League players, I don't think he had three centre-backs last mm. night. Um, uh, so, I mean, I think he was forced into a four, um, pretty much. Um, so, so that that I think explains that tactical one. But yeah, increasingly, you think we are going to need that that third. If Maguire is not going to be fit for the group games, which is you know no one's ruling him in particularly hurriedly, hurriedly at the moment. I mean, it would be different when he's met up uh, and got a bit of training under his belt. But the, the, that Croatia game's coming up very quickly. You know, if we're starting a game with you know Stones and uh, Stones and uh, Mings as our back two centre-backs, then you, you sort of fear for that a little bit and we need to score lots of goals at the other end. And unfortunately, there wasn't signs of that happening either. I'm still not buying this Greenish thing, Andy. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. <laughs> His contribution to the goal was not being able to get onto Lingard's return ball. Um, and thankfully, the defender knocked it on to, to Saka for him. Um, I mean, uh, and he, he won some free kicks, which we need a free kick specialist to knock in unfortunately um, he's left James Ward-Prowse out of the squad at the moment so I wonder if that's one to think of uh, yeah. if Trent Alexander-Arnold needs replacing because if he can win free kicks around the box and we've got someone who can put them in the top corner then that's a different matter but I think he runs into too many blind alleys for my liking and, and actually Greenish, you mean Greenish. 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 Uh, Matt, Matt I must just point out we, we were both on a sort of a BBC sort of kind of press call weren't we a couple of weeks mm. ago where Mika, Mika Richards said that Jack Grealish is world class. Thierry Henry could barely contain his mirth, could he? Basically. I'm with Thierry on that, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was quite amusing, wasn't it? I mean, Grealish, for all he's, he's not got Thierry Henry's va va voom, has he? So, I mean, when you're on that sort of, when you're making that sort of comparison, but that's what that playmaker needs to be. If you're the playmaker of one of the teams hoping to win the tournament, you need to be world class. And I don't think he's just quite that good enough. Gaza was. Uh, Jack Grealish isn't quite there. And much as you want him to be better and do so, and it's great to see someone doing something that defenders aren't expecting. 
when it never ends in an end product. I was watching when England didn't have the ball mm-hmm. and you see Saka and you saw Lingard chasing defenders, harrying defenders all the time uh, and winning possession. And for the first half an hour, Austria struggled to get out of the pen at her own um, half because of the work those guys were doing. Jack Grealish isn't doing that. He's there to get the ball and do something with it. And unless he does something with it, his position's redundant. And, you know, <laughs> I think he... I, I, Perhaps if he was fully fit, perhaps if he was fully fit, then mm. then he'd be better able to hurt teams. But at the moment, he's, he's not he's not hurting anyone. But at the moment, he's been doing all season. He's providing the system. <laughs> he wasn't until he got injured. He's providing he, he the system. Yeah, we'll we'll let him come back from injury. I mean, I mean, it it sounds very. I, mean, I don't know what your agenda particularly is against Jack Grealish, but I mean, you know, he's been and he's been outstanding all season before he was injured. He's just coming back from injury. I mean, you know, I mean, 70, yeah, I get that. seventy and, and minutes against Austria, and you're and, and you're and you're decrying him. It's just it, it's just bizarre. I mean, I'm not I mean, to be honest, and, and if you want him to track back and work hard, it. you know, I mean, I, I mean, that's fine. I want to see a luxury. I want to see luxury players. I want to see skillful players. I want to see entertainers. I'm, I must say, I'm with Andy on this. Uh, uh, you know, because what is the point in football if you if you can't have a bit of fun? He fantasy? can beat a man. He, he, you know, he, 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 he sees a pass. He does the unexpected. I mean, you know, but if you just want to be straight down the middle, um, like England have always been, then that's that's that's. Cross, that's would you play Mount and Grealish in the same team? Look, I do. <laughs> the thing is with Mount, I think that Mount is more, uh, should we say, adaptable to playing in a central role. And I, I, I would try. I'd be trying my best to get Mount and Grealish in the team. And I have to say, on form. You've got to surely go with, you know, Foden as well. Yeah. You somehow got to get a system that, that enables you surely to get your best and most attacking, yeah. most exciting, skillful players in. And if that means destabilizing, somewhat uprooting the defence a little bit, and then maybe in the process, if you're missing the Maguire going with a three because you're not sure at the back, then so be it. I just feel as if Foden finished the season on fire. I mean, you know, he lost the Champions League final, right? But he was arguably City's best player. He's yeah. playing, you know, with confidence, with, you know, verve, and he's playing on a different level at the moment with Sterling. I don't actually see how Sterling and Rashford get in. And just just go for it. Just go for it. Really be so exciting with those players. I just feel as if Mount can play. If you're playing with a three, you could maybe play with Rice and Mount more centrally. And then, and then basically you probably can get everyone else in, you know. Just just find a system and a way to really extenuate the strengths and, you know, di- dynamic nature of the team. When the um, squad was announced and there was obviously a hoo-ha about the four right-backs and mm. Alexander-Arnold Alexander being included as part of that group, mm. Southgate basically argued his case, look, I've picked the best 26 players to win a tournament and if that happens to be four right-backs in that 26, then so be it. Well, okay, fine. So therefore, if you're going to work on that principle, why don't you work on the same principle when you pick your team for the Croatia game and put your best players, all your best players, in the starting level? If yeah. you do that, you've got to pick Foden, you've got to pick Mount, you've got to obviously pick Kane, you've probably got yeah. to pick Grealish. You know, that's mm. he's got to stick to that principle, surely. Yeah, yeah. The defence really worries me. I really, it really worries me. Mm? Pardon? You better, 
pick your best 11 players, you, you drop Pickford and play rush goalies, don't you? Well, to be I mean, honest, after last night, Matt, I'd, I'd be having Saka. I'd be having Saka as rush goalie. Well, I'd, I'd, uh, he's go. another one. He's just, he, honestly, as well. the, kid, the, kid, the kid is just, for me, he he's well a sensational player. I mean, his decision-making for a 19-year-old is just off the scale. He's just, I've never seen anyone like it. He, he always, he's, he just never wastes a pass. And Bellingham's got to get Bellingham well, in the Bellingham. team as well, haven't yeah. we? You know, sorry? We've got to get Bellingham in the team as well yeah. now. Well, I know, I know. It does seem strange, John, you, you, you mentioned the, maybe the defensive issues, the thing, mm. things that come out of last night, you know, when, when, when actually England kept a clean sheet, but I think you're right. I think they were in disarray, um, certainly later on in the game. And listen, I think we all accept now that Maguire will be very, very lucky to play. Well, certainly any part in the group games, um, I, I'm sceptical whether he plays any part in the tournaments at all. And without him, you do wonder what that defence is going to look like, what that combination is going to look like. You know, mm. in, in, this, in, the, in the central area, I do think, you know, you, you highlighted the Ming's rush of blood that wasn't noticed. You know, Connor Cody, while he was very vocal last night, I don't think, you know, looked particularly... Um, sort of sound um, yeah, last night. I thought he was the better too. I do. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I just think, you know, that is where the worry is. You know, that is where, mm. without Maguire, you assume they'll probably play um, a three. Um, but then you look at the personnel on that three, it'd presumably it'd be John Stones, Walker. Um, maybe even Carl Walker and, say, Connor Cody um, or Mings. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure. It doesn't really, as, as one of the lads, I can't remember if it was you, Jeremy, or Matt, who mentioned it, you know, where, when... It's okay against Austria, but when you're coming up against, you know, mm. a forward line, say that someone like France can can produce, they could play France in the in the in the first knockout round. Of course, you know it's a different story against um, Mbappe and Griezmann um, and others. So I think that that is probably the, the worry that, that that he's got. And you know, and, and and as much as we laugh about it, you know, the, the, those options. You know, with Alexander Arnold out, listen, maybe if he is out, Alexander Arnold. Maybe he replaced him with a defender. You know, maybe a, maybe a Ben White um, or mm. a Ben Godfrey. I thought he was terrific, we'll Ben White, when he came on last night. You know, yeah. Ben, ben White is going to crack Well, I know Ben White, but Ben White is a terrific England England player yes. in, the, so, in the making, in my, in my view. But um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, the Austria Austria team is led by a manager who's under incredible pressure at the moment. The fans calling for his head. He's the first German to ever manage. Austria, he's accused of being far, far, far too conservative with his tactics and picking a ridiculous amount of players from the German Bundesliga, which hasn't gone down well in Austria. And and yet Southgate has, I feel, as if, you know, taken a bit of criticism. Not not often he gets it this week by by including the four right-backs. If we lose Trent, one of those, uh, trademark, obviously copyright Trent, um... Who who I'll go around the room if you like, go around the virtual room. Who would you bring in to replace Alexander Arnold? Jeremy, let's start with you. Can you go move on to someone else while I have a little think about it? No. That's that's why we I, come to you to put I'll you. Tell under- what I do. Good to be fish. I I'll go Jesse Lingard. Well, Another attacking well, player. 
I would, I would go Jesse Lingard. Well, I, well, I just think that the, the, the squad of 26 allows you to have um, an extra attacking option. We don't know. I mean, no matter what Gareth says, you know, and I thought he was a bit tetchy when he when he was um, asked about the four right-back questions. Mm. You know, this this line that I'm taking the best footballers, you know, I don't see... I don't, he says, you may see them as four right-backs. You know, I see them as four footballers. Yeah, yeah, that's all well and good. But the bottom line is... The reason why we see them as four right backs is that every single week we see them play, they're playing right back. Nor, you know, I mean, normally they're playing right backs. They are four right backs. He doesn't need four right backs, you know. And and the fact of the matter is, is there is there an extra attacking option? Is you can get one in a squad of twenty six, and one of those four shouldn't be going anyway. Now you can take your pick who it may, might be. You know, some people might think, you know, well, okay, we don't need Kieran Trippier. Some people might think. You know, not Reese James. Some people might think not um, Alexander Arnold, John, to give him his full surname. And, or some might think Carl Walker, not many would think that. But, you know, I, I think this allows him to get a little bit more balance in the squad. You, you know, I mean, the bottom line is, is, is that over a quarter of the outfield players are fullbacks. You know, we mm-hmm. have six fullbacks in the team. You know, I mean, don't forget, you, you know, fullbacks can generally operate on either flank as well. You know, Kane Trippier was operates mm-hmm. on the left flank last night. So we don't need six fullbacks. And, you know, no matter how good footballers they are, we don't need six fullbacks. So take five and take an extra attacking off and take Jesse Lingard. I mean, maybe one of the guys will take Ollie Watkins. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But for me, Lingard in, um, he's at a good end of the season. He scores stuff, he creates stuff. He helped create the goal, Matt, um, as well as Grealish. And um, and he's done well before for Southgate. And has, yeah. and, and has tournament experience. So to me... yeah. Lingard. I thought Lingard, Lingard, played, last night. Lingard yeah. played like he wanted to last night. But what I would say again, and it sort of comes back to the mention, touched on it earlier. If we're going to win, score goals, we've got to find a way of getting the ball in that net. And I think having a player like James Wall Prowse who can score a free kick mm. is another dimension. If, I mean, Greedish, for, he, he does draw a foul. He's, he's brilliant at it. You're he's playing me right here, so. Well, if late in the game, so you're playing you know, one pass to take the three kicks that Greenish isn't going to get because you're right. The trouble with Jess Lingard is I don't think anyone gets particularly excited if we're chasing a game and Jess Lingard comes to the touchline ready to come on. Um, as much as he's a great team player, I don't think he's a sort of impact player that that perhaps a Greenish would be if he doesn't start. Um, you know, give me, but in tandem with that, you need someone to be able to make the most of what Greenish gets for us, which is free kicks around the box, set pieces. And I'm surprised that Wal Prowse wasn't in it because he's such a Southgate player, mm. um, you know, through the years. You know, I think he must be one of the most disappointed. And coming back to the four right-back thing, though, the fact that we're struggling to find a number, a 26th man to go, or a 27th man to go into the squad shows, quite, I think, why Southgate chose four right-backs in the first place is because, you know, it does dry up fairly quickly, the talent pool, beyond, you know, what, what he already put in. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, my, my personal vote would be for Wal Prowse, but Lingard, for the way he, he went about things last night, I think deserves serious consideration. Yeah. Jezza, come on, giving you the build-up. Build well, I thought I thought Lingard deserved to be in the squad just because of his experience. He's had a great season. You know, look, basically, West Ham, he's got West Ham into the Europa League this, mm. places this season. So he's been brilliant for West Ham. And he's got that spark about him, and he? he just looks a revived player, back to that sort of player he was in 2018. My only issue with that is it's another, another sort of player who Southgate 
has to think about in terms of shoehorning into a starting possible starting eleven. So my temptation would be to pick Lingard. Lingard, my head would say, let's you would better pick another defender or even a midfielder because we've got five midfielders in the squad. Um, mm. But Ben White did well when he came on, although it's a big ask to pick someone without you know with such an experience to go into a tournament like that. Um, and Godfrey's had a great season. Uh, for his club so you know they are two promising players it's just whether you would risk picking one of them to provide cover and if they're called upon would they be able to handle the pressure of that situation so it's an awkward one but you got to look ultimately you want you've got to score goals to win games and Lingard can do that or help us yeah. do that yeah yeah absolutely he's got a belt right. in the World Cup if I remember yeah, he did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Listen, let's move on to club matters. And Andy, I'm going to start with you mm. on this one because you you know this club very well. Yeah. Carlo Ancelotti. Now, I've got to say, you know, I, I was so surprised that a Real Madrid went back. <laughs> B Carlo Ancelotti did. All right, and I'll say it. Did the dirty. I, mean, I just I love Carlo Ancelotti. His charm is 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 you know he's a gent, isn't he? He's one of football's great gentlemen. It just feels so wrong. I I actually can't believe he's done this. I I, I think he's got away with quite a, you know relatively little criticism actually. I think you know he's taken a bit, but how do Everton fans feel? I mean, I just I'm staggered by this. I'm genuinely staggered by this. Well, I, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, if, if you say, can you believe someone has left Everton for Real Madrid, then, well, yeah, it, it, it's eminently believable, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's just that's a simple fact. Someone, someone, I should have noted who it was, but oh, no, no, no. I'm nicking someone's line off Twitter, but an Everton fan wrote, um, um, just wait till just wait till our next grudge match against Real Madrid, uh, dot, 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 you know, so the implication being, well, you know, there's not going to be one for a very long time because... Everton are unlikely to be competing in that sphere. So, so that's uh, that's the issue, you know. And um, don't forget also, Everton fans are now, are now sort of like, they have got a great sense of humour. It's a dark sense of humour considering what they've been through for for for, for years. And, and you know, we can now look at it and, and, and you can look at it and say, well, you know, three of Everton's uh, recent managers, one is manager of Barcelona, one is manager of Real Madrid, and another is manager of possibly um, one of the warm favourites to win Euro 2020, which is uh, Roberto Martinez, so manager of Belgium. So, so, so that's not bad. I think listen, Everton fans are, you know, they 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 they're clearly not they're not fantasists. They 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 realise that Ancelotti, yes, probably does have a special tie with Real Madrid, but more importantly, has a special tie with with any mega club, doesn't he? Like mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, when they came knocking out to the blue, then you know he's swapping. You know, um, he's, he's swapping Everton for for Madrid, and on a personal level, you, if that opportunity was afforded to you as a player, as a as whatever anyone associates with the club, you might you might go for it. Um, mm. Any idea? We all know that the loyalty amongst managers is is, is you know it's a two way street. I mean, they show no loyalty if the results go bad, they get sacked. So when this opportunity comes along, having said all that. You know what really is dispiriting is the idea that that, that Ancelotti, um, you know, seemed to seem to throw himself into the club. You know, you know, sort of spoke about the club, spoke about leading them into a new stadium, spoke about you know a project. You know, is as though well, you know, he he was part of it. 
Um, and those who suspected that the, the biggest factor in getting him to Everton was Farhad Mashiri's money, we, you know, we've indicated. I mean, and it's as simple as that. I mean, I don't really know what else. You know, I, I think what's important is that is is now is that we don't. Yeah, you know, we, we you can be angry about Ancelotti, you know, as much as you want an Everton fan, but it's going to get you nowhere. What what the club now needs to do is to think about the type of character they appoint as the next manager. That, that is the most important thing now. And what do you do? So big dunk, you know, I mean... <laughs> Nuno, Nuno, come on then, Nuno. Well, 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 well Nuno, listen, what I, what I would say is, is, is what, what they need, Everton, and, and what I think, you know, they need to address it is, so do you have a plan for appointing your next manager? Do you go, listen, you, you know, do you go down the Ancelotti route again and see if there's a, a name out there, you know, a Benitez, I mean, heaven forbid, who, who might fit that bill? <laughs> Basically, a, a coaching galactica. Well, because of the con- you know, because of obvious connections. Do you go down that route, knowing knowing that that might, uh, you know, that they might well go, go elsewhere, yeah. or do you go down the route where you think, you know what? And this sounds a little bit defeatist, but to the extent where go down and employ a manager who you know is going to see a long term plan through, assuming the results go okay. In other words, someone who's not going to be coached by Real Madrid, um, someone who's not, you know, a, a, a relatively young manager who is on board with the entire project, who for him, Everton is the biggest and best that he could hope for. They, they, Eddie Howe springs to my mind. I mean, Eddie Howe springs to my mind. I think, you know, is Eddie Howe ever in his career going to be um, enticed or tempted or courted by, say, a Real Madrid or a Barcelona or even a Manchester United, um, as David Moyes was. I don't think so. But is he the type of character, if you turn around to him and say, here, we're going to invest this in the team, and this is how we see it going. This is how our director of football sees it going. This is, we're going to move into a new stadium. This is a um, a gradual re-establishing of Everton as the force they should be, which is, which is a big, big club in the Premier League. And do you try and get... A man and a group who, who will who will turn around and say, "Well, th- this is our like you know, this is their ultimate project." And to me, something like that would be the ultimate challenge for someone like Eddie Howe. You know, mm-hmm. managing Everton wasn't an ultimate challenge for Carlo Ancelotti. It almost sounds when he says, "Oh, thanks for having a chance to manage such a historic club," slightly patronising and slightly though, mm-hmm. oh, it's a pleasant interlude in his career. And now I'm going to resume my time on the merry-go-round of big elite European clubs. That's what it sounds like now at Ancelotti. Mm. Let's get someone who, who who actually will see a project through. To him, it will be the be-all and end-all. He will see it long-term-wise. And I don't think Ancelotti did that. Um, and certainly, obviously, when Real Madrid can call them, they didn't. So I think it's, it's what they get right. Is it a kick in the teeth for Everton fans? Absolutely it is. But is it one that was always, always, no matter how slim you thought, Always a possibility. Yep, of course it was. Ancelotti's a, a European elite coach, part of that cabal of elite coaches, and they tend to get moved around um, quite regularly. Mm, Barbie, you've really surprised me there because I just think almost what you're saying about Eddie Howe is, is saying, well, you know, let's put a limit on what we go for because, frankly, yeah. you know, if we go higher, then we'll just lose him anyway, which well, seems no, a remarkably defeatist. Yeah. I, I guess I guess others would say realistic. Well, that's what's happened in recent you know. history, though, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah I, get I get that. I get that. Yeah, and it sounds that way, I guess. And I guess you're you're right. Um, but I guess a left field option, Donny. What about Gerard? 
Yes, I heard well, them I'm discussing happy. that on the radio this morning. On the job, I mean, yeah, long drive back from Middlesbrough. He's ready for a, a job in English football. Is, is, <laughs> I know. Is one of Bradford Benitez is definitely more likely than that. I'm surprised yeah. that you're so dismissive, Andy, about Rafa, simply because, you know, it was interesting to me this week, early in the week, Jamie Carragher was saying Rafa would be a perfect fit. I, I saw think Rafa's that, yeah. up for Rafa's clearly up for a job back in the country. I saw country, that, yeah. I, 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 I think you slightly underestimate, and maybe I think Carragher was probably being, um, I mean, shock or a, a little bit mischievous, um, that suggestion. You know, I, I, I do think that, that while, while you know, you have had movements between the two clubs, I think a new Everton manager who Everton fans would want to be completely and utterly um, um, committed um, and immersed in the, in the long-term project in the same way, say, the Klopp um, was at Liverpool. I suspect an ex-Liverpool manager or a living Liverpool legend such so as Steven Gerrard might not go down too well. I mean, Tottenham. Big Dunk would be I mean, a shout Jesse, you're right, but go on. Oh, well, I don't know about Big Dunk at Tottenham. No, but um, no, no. I mean, Tottenham now just seem to be, I mean, they're moving towards Antonio Conte, but, you know, they clearly tried other ports in the storm first. And it feels like they're moving towards Conte. And I, Matt, do you think the motivation is right for Conte? Because we know what how combustible, how argumentative, how combative Conte is. Is that a good fit for Tottenham and Daniel Levy? I think his appointment would destroy the club as firmly as that. Because it's combustible between Levy and the fans at the moment. He's written them an abject apology about the Super League, mm. in which case where he said he's promised the next appointment would go back to the principles of the club, attacking creative football. And then the next minute he's talking to Antonio Conte, who's Chelsea for a start, doesn't play attacking football particularly. I quite like his football. A, I've got to say, I quite like his football. But he's kind of pigeonholed as not Spursy. Um, right. He's basically he's another he's another Mourinho, Mourinho plus, if you like, an attempt to try and scoop mm. some silverware. It shows mm. what Levy thinks of the fans if he appoints him, and when it goes wrong between the pair of them, because I don't think that necessarily, like you say, that could be an accident waiting to happen. Mm then you've got absolute turmoil at the club again. All the time, when you've got fans back, you've got to start filling a 60,000 stadium. Spurs have done that under Pochettino. They, they weren't, you know, White Hart Lane, there wasn't queues of season ticket. I mean, they've got to get show they, they're a big enough club to fill that stadium every week with the right pl- players on the pitch mm. and actually compete at the top of the game. And Pochettino, as soon as he came close to doing that, they sacked him. Um, you know, on a blip at the start of a season. So I think going back to Pochettino makes a lot more sense for the club because it shows that Levy has at least some sort of sense of rapport with the fans. Uh, and, you know, uh, and, and obviously the pair of them will get on. It won't be the same again, and it never is. But but Conte just seems to be a, a slap across the face of those Spurs fans who, you know, don't want him at the club anyway. Mm. Um, yeah, it just seems like he's sticking two fingers up to them. Yeah. It really struck me as a strange one as things obviously moving apace yesterday particularly. Just bearing in mind the previous week, you know, this the smoke signals were, were very much still going for Pochettino and then basically 
you know, Conte is on the list, but basically maybe far down simply because of this reputation and because it's high maintenance. And we've, we've, you know, just had this experience with Jose Mourinho. And it seemed to me that Conte was, you know, it, it is it is a strange one. And yet another, you know, I mean, for people who don't understand the dynamics of, of, of London football, I mean, there's real hatred there and rivalry between Tottenham and Chelsea. And it's just, you know... It's uh, it's Chelsea's number one enemies as well. So I don't know whether that sort of slightly taints Conte's legacy at Stamford Bridge, but it's certainly an interesting one. Let's look at the um, uh, Player of the Year and the PFA nominations. We should stress on this one that basically the uh, the votes I think were cast by the players in um, uh, in mid May. So it does seem crazy. Here's the thing. We all rave about N'Golo Kante and say, oh, he's fabulous, isn't he? You know, he's amazing. You know, delivers yet another performance, you know, out of the top draw in the European Cup final. He's fabulous. And yes, the voting has been cast, but we're not saying that, that, that Kante is the best midfielder of his type in the world based on one performance, are we? And yet still he doesn't make the shortlist, which... You know, he either is or he isn't. You shouldn't be judging, you know, players on one game, if you, if you see what I mean. So all these times are kind of the players saying, oh, journalists don't know what they're talking about. Well, funny enough, this was voted by the players. Not that I should rub it in, but, I just, I, you know, I mean, I, I, I went for Ruben Diaz in the Football Writers. So I think, you know, you're always going to only sort of not see past the, the main nomination, are you? But I mean, the thing it is just struck me as bizarre. You look at the list and the first that came on a press release, didn't it, yesterday? And the first mm. thing that jumps out of me is, where is N'Golo Kante on that list? Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? I just my eyes nearly popped out of my head. I'm thinking, mm. so then I ascertained when the voting finished, which was middle of May. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. But <laughs> this guy's won a Champions League for Chelsea. He's been the outstanding player in the final. He's not just achieved that. Over, we knew how good a player he was before the voting yep. was counted. He's not just become an incredible player in the last fortnight. He helped Chelsea get in the top four. He helped um, he helped them get to the cup final, FA Cup final. Mm. I just think, well, it's a simple solution. Then put the voting back till the end of end of May, until the Champions League is decided yeah. if it involves English teams, and let's pick a winner then. Because look, mm. I like you vote for Diaz who clearly had a bad game um, in Porto, who's nowhere to be seen when um, Havertz went through the middle to score the winning goal. And actually, a lot of those players on that list, I know we just we can't judge them on one game, but a lot of those players on that list, the City players in particular, who didn't have a night to remember in Porto. I just think it's unfair for someone who is clearly the best player in his position in the world not to be considered. I mean, Kante, knowing Kante, he probably doesn't care, does he? But he's a pretty laid-back guy. But I just think it's staggering that the system is set up to allow something like this to happen. Yeah, it is, it is I'm really, surprised, really John, I'm surprised behind the scenes nobody got hold of all the votes for Kane and put a little mm. T in between the N and the E and added them to the ones that were voted for Kante and they mm. probably could have got over the line. Because, mm. I mean, yeah, it's clearly... it's. it's yeah, when you look at the end of season awards, it's it's, it's a glaring omission. No, it is a bizarre one. It is a bizarre. Listen, I'd have Harry Kane in there all day long because as an individual, you know, fantastic. You know, hey, look, all I mean, the players on the list really deserve to be on the list. 
Well, no, the only no, one, Okuma. Okuma. The problem is that one of the most deserving players to be on there, if not win it, is not even on the list. That's the issue. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, the only one I'd slightly take issue is Fernandez. Really. I. I. You know. I'd have Kante over Fernandez if I was looking oh, to edge okay. one out. Gundogan, Gundogan, I think had a wonderful purple patch when when City yeah. were firing and deserves to be in there. Absolutely, the yeah. Yeah. yeah, fabulous. And that was the pivotal period, wasn't it, in their title chase? And that's why they won the title. I do think was what, what ultimately of United ended up doing. It doesn't matter what United is. It, I mean, Fernandez has been, you know, outstanding for Manchester United, and it is actually called the Player of the Season, as in the entire season, mm. not just the Player of May. That's called Player of the Month award. Um, and you know, it, it's I, I, I heard no one, absolutely no one. Now let's let, let, let's get our hands up here, chaps. We had the Football Writers Association award, yes. And when we voted for it on our voting closed um, and on the first weekend of May, I think. And how mm. many voted in goal or can't again? Well, none is, is, is probably the answer. I, I would have thought. You know, none of us were touting in goal Kante as a possible footballer of the year before he was outstanding. We don't get to Champions. choose. We don't get to choose six, do we? No, well, well, he wasn't so in our top therefore, six. Let's put it that way. No, no, hang on, guys. Hang on, guys. We all talk about a player of the season, as in the entire season, which started, uh, you know, which starts by in, well, then mm. when this one starts, September, wasn't it? Or, or, and goes on for the, for the entire season. I didn't hear anyone, I didn't read anyone um, at the end of April suggesting Angola Kante was in any way, shape or form, a viable contender for the Football of the Year. I just didn't hear it. Now, what we're saying was, was he outstanding in the two Champions League semi-finals and the final? Absolutely, he was. Was he the player of those games? Absolutely, he was. Was his form over the entire season? Was his form consistently good enough? Was he in the side enough? Was he was he consistent no enough yep. over the? Yes, exactly. Was he yep. consistent enough over the entire season to be the player of the season? Listen, he may well yeah. win the Ballon d'Or. You know, to take into account. What he, how he performed in those Champions League games, but you know they're not. You're not picking your. It's an age-old debate. Do you pick on on individual games when you play well in important games, or when you are absolutely crucial to them winning trophies? Well, then you can if you want. But as in consistency, consistency over an entire season, being consistently good over an entire season, Fernandez deserves to be on it. Ruben Diaz deserves to win our award. And that's why Kante wasn't there. I mean, it's it's revisionism of that highest order, just to say, well, you know, it's a great revision that Kante's not there because he had a good uh, yeah. game against City. It is, why Andy. Is it, I think we live in the year 2021. We live in the year 2021, don't we? Yes. Basically. Technology yeah. is, you know, uh, yes. is king, is everything. Why on earth do we have player of the year, football of the year from di- the different bodies... And I'm a member of the FWA. Yes, yeah, problem the member end there, I say it's... of the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, the PFA have got a virtual event on Sunday, which is after, uh, you know, frankly, after the end of the season. You're not even, you know, it's not even a posh dinner. It's basically, I just don't understand why you can't collate these votes after the final game. It's like, I, I mean, I love, you know, I, I've, I've been watching lots of box sets and lots of movies lately because, you know, things to do and all that sort of stuff. And you see them nominated and winning the BAFTAs. 
Well, they don't judge the film ten minutes, you know, on the, the you know the film up until the last ten minutes, do they? It's the most ridiculous no, no, thing, no, exactly. most ridiculous, antiquated, outdated system. Because if 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 the votes have been cast after the Champions League final, and Gola Kante makes yeah. the shortest of both, it's yeah. embarrassing. No, it's not. It's not ridiculous. No, the process is embarrassing. The process well, 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 no. is embarrassing. Okay, John. No, you, you, you don't. You don't judge. You don't judge uh, uh, the the BAFTA or the Oscars on the first ten minutes of a film. Likewise, you don't just judge it on the last ten minutes of a film. There isn't an Oscar for the best ending to a movie. You know, and, and no, and but you wouldn't. You wouldn't, you no, wouldn't no, say no, no, it's no, a mo- mo- movie of the Kante, year basically without watching the last ten minutes. I mean, I mean, Kante wins the award for for best ending to a season, without a doubt. He, he is the player of the latter part of the season. Is he? And let's face it, when we're judging our awards, we tend to judge them. It's not actually in the parameters of the award, but we tend to judge them on the Premier League, don't we? We tend to judge the contributions of the Premier League. Hence why Angola Kante won Player of the Year and Football of the Year in 2016-17 for his contribution to Leicester City's title. That's why he was given that award. We judge it over the whole season, over the 50-odd games that these players play, that Diaz played, we judge it over the 50-odd games he played. We don't judge it over Diaz having one bad night in Porto or Kante having a good night in Porto. We know Kante's a fantastic player. He was a worthy winner then. And I'm mm. sure he, you know, few people would have quibbled about him if he'd been on the shortlist. But the fact of the matter is, it's over the entire piece. You know, again, you know, I, I, I refer to the fact that I read very little or heard very little ahead of the end of April about Kante having an outstanding season. In fact, if I heard anything, I heard that he hadn't been as effective as he normally is. I didn't see that much of him because I didn't see Chelsea that often live. But if I read anything, it was the, you know, what, I read what happened to N'Golo Kante. Oh, hang on, he's player of the year. But Dunny, you know, <laughs> you, you use the film analogy. Yes, I know. Come on. Don't we judge a film on how good the ending is? I do. <laughs> yeah, of course you do. How good an ending to a film is determines whether you like it or not. And I just you think, do. like Crossy says... It's a simple thing. Can't we just change the procedure where all the votes are count, cast and counted at the end of May yeah. after all the games of European games have been finished, and then we have a, a winner, a fair winner. So no, yeah, I just but, think it yeah, takes place too what, early. That's all. That's what all would be fair about someone winning a player of the season award on the back of three or four good games at the end of a season? But Kante's mm. played more than three or four good games. Well, I, I, he's just I, finished I, off. A, he's it, just it, finished it off. Be, a, it must be a good because I haven't been reading much about them prior to prior to this. Well, he's the, turned the what was a Champions good season of him into a wonderful one. He's won Champions League. It's how, how, how you want to judge, isn't it? How you, you either yeah, judge on the, on the entire the piece. cast too soon, that's all. Yeah, yeah, they really, really are. I, I'm I mean, more upset by the process rather than the um, rather than the outcome. Uh, the know, I, I, I just don't think we can say that N'Golo Kante is, is, you know, has reinvented the midfield role, which arguably it has, and, and then basically just judge it purely on the one game. You know, he's he's either that outstanding player, or he's not, and that's that's my point. But you know, I'm on my high horse here. But you know, well, yeah. But so anyway. Who's going to win then? Anyway, who's going to win it? Well, I, I don't know. Bound to, 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 to be a city player. Bound to be a city player. He's got to be moving Diaz. Yeah, for, for recognition of what he's done over the entire season. You know, yeah. and, and and that's what. I mean, there are, by the way, the, the process. You know, it, it's a it's a long bit. It's just a question of when you want your your award to to be announced. And you know, both the football writers and and the players, uh, the PFA, you know, wanted to be 
wanted to be relevant, basically. You know, wanted mm. to be well as football. You know, it, it's at the crescendo of a season rather than yeah, saying, yeah. okay, okay well, well, let's all vote now. And everyone's yeah. gone off on holiday and, and you, you, you mentioned in sort of June mm. the Cantes, your... The, the Young Player of the Year award's a big call as well, and you've got Foden, Saka, Rice and Mount. Yeah. I mean, yeah. good, good luck picking a winner out of Foden. And well, I, 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 surely I'd be looking between Foden or Mount. Surely. Yeah. That's a big call, isn't it? They're both yeah. deserving of it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely fantastic. They need fantastic. a sort of two clear category for that, though, because that feels like CBBC and CBBs all wrapped in together. You need a sort of like a young player of the year and a toddler's player of the year, because some of those players are so young that it's almost like a different, you know, five years between. Uh, Foden and uh, and someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold. I think we've got so much young talent coming through that, that perhaps we need a yeah a, a Nippers Player of the Year or whatever for all those teen yeah specifically for teenagers because because some of those yeah like you say Trent Alexander-Arnold's been around for ages, hasn't he? So mm. you know it's. Uh, it, I'm just it's, impressed, it's, Matt, that you're expanding your uh, range of television viewing. It's great. Well, absolutely. Well, yeah, every day's a school day. <laughs> absolutely. Right. 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 Absolutely. Right. 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 Um, so, and and this is a bit of a broad, broad one, right? What is the funniest, best, weirdest moment we're covering in international tournament? <laughs> well, I'm going to start you off with uh, 2002, uh, going to the Japanese training camp, uh, the Argentinian training camp, I should say, yeah. in the middle of nowhere in rural Japan. I'm sure I bored everyone on this panel since this with this little silly story. And basically, it moved back oh, the yeah, open yeah. training session and press conference uh, back a bit. And basically, so we, me and a colleague from another paper, red top paper, basically hours, hours to kill. So he thought, right, I'm going to go and get a haircut in this little Japanese village. And anyway, no one spoke English at all in the village. And so I thought, you know, so he's thinking, how am I going to show that I want basically the clippers on my haircut, basically. I want a number five all over. And he's going number five. He's sort of, you know, holding that up and sort of trying to sort of remonstrate with him, get the clippers number five. And then finally he sees a picture on the front page of the paper of Rio Ferdinand. And, the, and he points this out and the, and the, and the barber gets very excited. Oh, yes, uh, Rio Ferdinand. And suddenly there's communication, the, the, you know, the, the international language barrier is broken. And the guy sits, sits my power down, gets out the clippers, and carves into the back of his head a number five. <laughs> Squad number. Squad number. <laughs> and basically then, so he doesn't go five all over, he just cry, carves five into the back of his head and has to shake <laughs> the whole lot off so it all matches. I thought, I thought anyway, the brutal, the brutal Tabasco sauce fight in Rio, crossing. No, no, no. If you're looking for a story, Jeremy, come on, far away, come on, Jeremy. Well, mine sort of involves me, but um, in Rio in 2014, I was um, found guilty of a slight indiscretion at the England training camp stroke media centre and was mar frog-marched off the premises with another colleague by two FA people um, in stony silence. 
having felt made to feel like I've been shameful, made to feel shameful for doing something really wrong. And um, it was sort of that look that the FA guys gave me. It was sort of quite demeaning. And then literally three days later, I was in a part of Rio having a beer and a night out. And the very same person was walking towards me with um, a couple of lady friends on each arm. <laughs> anyway, he took one look at me and another colleague and went white as a sheet. And these these ladies dispersed into the night, never to be seen again. And um, came over and pretended all was normal and bought us beers for the rest of the night. Not I'm saying he felt guilty or anything, but he, he bought us beers for the rest of the night. So that's, that was quite an amusing episode. There's so many, actually, because, you know, you go on these trips around the world and a lot of them can't be um, made public, though, can they? Really? No, possibly not. Matt? Well, my, my international trip's occasionally a little bit more wholesome than yours, Jeremy. Yeah, um, right. 2006 and the infamous caravan. When uh, <laughs> I had a great idea to turn me around Germany in a caravan, decked out in England kit. Um, so doing that tournament, drawing up at various campsites near training grounds where where there's no, no football around at all because they're in the leafy midst of Germany and it's just me on my own in a caravan in a family holiday park. So that didn't automatically make people look at me a little bit strangely. Um, but one place, Baden-Baden, near Baden-Baden, there was a lovely campsite while you were all in your luxury hotel with the wags. Um, I was in the caravan at the bottom of the hill and, um, uh, and I built up a bit of a rapport with everyone at the campsite. Yeah, we watched the evening game on the screen that they put up at the campsite. Yeah, I felt, got to know a few of the locals there, mainly Germans. Um, but yeah, we all watched the, the games together and it was great. Uh, and rather touchingly, as I, as I left to head on to the latter stages of the tournament after England uh, had got knocked off out, um, loads of people as I drove out were waving, all stood there at the gates waving to me. I thought that's touching, so I started waving back. And then they waved to me even more. And I thought, oh, that's, they must really got on with me. So I'm waving back again. And then they said, no, no, look. And I've forgotten to unplug my electrical cable and I had a 50-foot cable trailing behind me at the back <laughs> of the caravan. And they wanted to warn me before I knocked some kid out. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the adventures in the caravan were, were, were a slightly different international trip, definitely. Yes, yeah, it's do, very do, do you remember, John, <laughs> you, you, you just talked about uh, about Japan and so many stories um, from Japan. I mean, not least of which, with that Sven took us on a pre-World Cup training camp to an island off South Korea called Sheju, a honeymoon island. Yes. I mean, typical Sven. And um, and that was one of the most uh, remarkable trips um, uh, that we that we had. But also, do you remember when, after beating Argentina um, in Sapporo, and one of the lads from the Press Association got on the wrong coach the next day. We were staying in the same hotel as the Argentinian team. Yes, and I yes, think it was, yes. was it... Was it John Curtis? Is that, was yeah, that yeah, exactly? No, no, not John Curtis. It was it. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. yeah, it was. And when he yeah. said got on the coach that we but we, we were staying with in the same hotel as the Argentinian team. When it went the next morning, John was on the on the got on the wrong coach, and and like you know, I, I, quite a character. I, I, I think he was a bit short sighted. Steadfastly refused, refused. Refused to remove to, to to move, even though Batistuta was saying to him, "Listen, mate, look look down there." And he's pointing out, I don't know, all the other players who was playing that game for Rotherham, and he said, "No, no, that's your coach." And of course, we're on the other ones. But Matt, 
Matt mentions, I mean, as you say, so many, but Matt mentions um, uh, Barden Barden and the Wags Hotel, I mean, which I was fortunate enough to spend a month in. And really, I mean, you'd have to have a separate podcast on that entire experience, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there has been. That entire experience, I mean, you know, I mean, just, 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 just I, I don't know, the, the mushroom marketing was every morning when you went down for breakfast, and the Wags would go straight to get the newspapers. The English newspapers would come in and bang, they'd all be gone. And, and of course, they were looking to see if they'd been pictured, you know, on the front of this newspaper. And if they hadn't, then then, then, then quite coincidentally, they, they, one of them would get, you know, into a training gear and go out and have a public workout in the park. And it was just, and then if you remember, it, it was it was quite fraught between the, the press and, and the wags and their families. Because obviously, you know, we've written stuff about, their loved ones all 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 season. Some of it might not be, you know, very complimentary. So after a few beers at night, all that came out. But of course, God rest his soul, um, Neville Neville in Barton Barton was him, the, the guy who sort of took it upon himself to have a to be um, a coordinator of, of the social activities, and um, and he was brilliant. But um, I just remember, I remember. Um, one night, um, and they were all, and we were having a drink with Neville, and we had to point out that, that, that there'd been this picture of him with all the wags in in in, in the restaurant. What was the restaurant called? I can't remember. What was it called? Oh, they they adopted a restaurant, and and basically it sort of reached a peak where where it was almost surreal. I mean, it was almost surreal what what was going on there, and and it was just as I say, so many tales from there, and and as. Um, as the lads say, so many that, that can't be repeated. But that is when you actually thought England. I think that was that was a point at which you thought you, you know that's never going to happen again with England. Like you know that was that was peaks then, and it was just uh, as I say, there was a tale every day. You know, you'd be bumping into posh in the lift. You'd be you'd be having a chat with Colleen, you know, at the bar, and it was just surreal. The whole thing was just surreal. Yeah, and of course, and then on, on the day before the game, the day before the game, every time a day before the game, you think, what's going on here? Like who are these people just come into? Because quite strict security, but these like three or four people would come into the the sort of function room and get all this gear out and whatever. And it was people from um, a fake tan company. It were coming in to, to to get everyone fake tanned up for for the next day's game, in prep for the next day's game. A pre match, pre match makeup. Oh my word! It was great. Fantastic. But what I would say is, is that almost by the end of it, you know, everyone got on great, and 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 and, and you know mainly it was just it was a nice atmosphere funny but it was just you know surreal that's to be said yeah yeah no that that is um great memories i have to say that was ridiculous that was a soap opera it's people oh, it? it's it, never it, been it, repeated since has it you know it, it ne- 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 this, never yeah. ever been repeated i remember yeah. uh, and of course I remember, actually we mentioned jamie Carrigan. i remember his family was staying down <laughs> In, they weren't actually staying in the hotel but they were staying in a in a in a in a sort of um a smaller hotel like a bed and breakfast great 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 family you know brilliant characters um and and that was called the house of scouts and uh, and 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 they would come down they would march down to the hotel and they were brilliant fun i remember playing golf with with, with jamie's dad philly brilliant guy and um i remember <laughs> playing and they were playing england kit that they they'd nick from 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 the england training session not nick sorry Fantastic. not nick borrow or or was 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 was, was same as the requirements um, and it was just, yeah, it, it, it was a, it was a great, it was a great experience. And as I say, it won't be repeated again. But you know, I, I think, I think actually the players quite liked having the families there, albeit I think yeah. some were a little bit embarrassed by some of the headlines every day. 
Fantastic. Love it. Love it. I don't think we'll ever see that again, but there you go. There you go. No, it's great, great fun. Guys, thanks so much for joining. And uh, thanks everyone at home for, for, um, for watching. It's been uh, it's been a, a good... Uh, this time it's week, by the way. Well, the Euros yeah. will be right upon us, won't it? Really, you know, incredible. It seems almost surreal saying it, actually. It doesn't seem, um, doesn't seem possible. But there you go. Anyway, we're looking forward to it. Thanks so much for your company. <laughs>